Hi. Hi. Coming to you live from the monkey pod. How much do you love the monkey pod? We... I loved the monkey pod. So the monkey pod room is this room in Parliament House where the, you know, where the pro-Abbott anti-Turnbull forces apparently regularly gather for sandwiches. And Peter Credlin's chocolate I cake. I know. <laughs> She's a bit of a baker, that lady. I know. She's I'd a like really to. great baker. I'd like to sample some of her wares. I've tried to invite myself around to her house to, um, you know, do a baking masterclass with Peter Credlin because I just think it would be so good. Oh, like, on great. Kitchen cabinet. Does she not want to do it? She is girlishly rejecting my my entreaties, but I think. <laughs> Let me just check if I thought I ran into her husband, door. Brian Lochnane, and oh, great, we're already walking around the building no, tied mistaken. together. <laughs> yeah. Tick that off the bingo. Um, I ran into um, Peter Crescent's <clears throat> husband, Brian Lochnane, um, in the airport security kind of thing at um, Canberra Airport, and we're both putting our bags through. And I thought, oh, I'll start working on him. And I was saying, oh, you know, I'm very keen to come round to your house and, you know, interview Peter and, uh, and, and make sponge cake. Because my sponge cake really needs some technique um, advice. And she's apparently quite a dab hand. And he just, his eyes just screamed no so loudly. <laughs> and he was so, he actually then voluntarily went into the gunpowder testing station. You know, the one oh, that you go wow. to and they say... Uh, excuse me, madam, have you done this before? And, you're like, and you just feel so sorry for those people because they clearly, everyone just wants to punch them in the head in a He's way like, like obviously... please pat me down? Yeah. Out, please, please. <laughs> Remove my trousers, whatever. I just don't want to see this woman anymore. But, Funny. Mm, but, yeah. So she didn't want to do it? Uh, not yet. I'll continue keep to. Yeah. Crap, keep working on it. Mm. Um, what have you been reading? I've been reading uh, the most enjoyable, fabulous book. Um, it is this sort of memoir by Drusilla Majeska. Mm -hmm. And um, it's plunk. There's something loud happening outside, naturally. And um, it's called Second Half First. Right. And it starts at her um, 40th birthday when she decides to um, break up with her husband. But... And, and, you know, the, the, the elements of her life story are really interesting, but the best thing about the book is that it's like this fabulous reading list, like into her observations about life and her recollections about, you know, some of her friends, including Helen Garner. Tick that off your bingo sheet. <laughs> Helen Garner's been mentioned already. But she used to live with um, Helen Garner oh. in this little house um, not very far from um, where you and I live. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of all, you know, I kind of read it with interest. You made it sound like you and I live together. I know, yeah, I know, yeah, that's clear. Look, we live about, what, we moved 10 k's apart? After last week's bedroom episode. <laughs> we just decided to formalise the arrangement. <laughs> the six uh, children are living, on oh no, five, are living in another house. Yes. <laughs> I was including Brandon. In yeah. <laughs> How kind, he'll love that. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Oh, I just remembered that we got in trouble for the last week, one where we just didn't do any oh, go yeah. to the website and, you know, go. If you like the podcast, uh, go to www.chat10looks3.com. Leave us a review Leave on iTunes review. if you really like us. Um, obligation. Right, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, um, but the, it, the tale is kind of this incredible um, embroidery of her reading. Right. And her friends and her life and all these reflections on um, on sort of womanhood and feminism. God, I'm making it sound really tedious, but it just <laughs> it just isn't. And um, the great thing is that I've been, you know, like I've got a list of about ten books that I really want to read, and I'm only like halfway through. Oh, it's, that sounds great. Yeah, it's fabulous. And um, she's 
she tells this story um, to about um, uh, interviewing Christina Stead and um, uh... <laughs> could you guys hear that? Well, I guess you can't answer. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, interruptions, interruptions. <laughs> There's a lot of tradies in our neighbourhood at the moment. The people over the road are putting their... They've bought two houses next to each other and they're making them into one house. God. Yeah. That sounds so, loud. I know, I really want to go and have a sticky peek, actually. Yeah. But right. anyway, I'm just hearing a ute starting up out the front. Anyway. Oh, guess, speaking of tradies, guess yeah. who came round to my house this morning? Hot trade. Jackie Lambie's hot tradie. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I have mentioned him on the podcast before. Nathan Golightly. What? He's my landscaping guy. Haven't I? I've mentioned Nathan Golightly, I'm sure, because he's got the best name in the world. And I gave a wow. shout out to Mr. and Mrs. Golightly for pairing Nathan with Golightly. Wow, that is a really. I, what's wrong with my brain? I just have no recollection of that name. Maybe at all. I didn't. Maybe I'm just making it just in your head. I just love it when I can go, mm, I need to ring Nathan Golightly. Oh, it's the best name ever. Is he any good at gardening? Who cares? <laughs> I don't care. I just like going, hello, Nathan Golightly. <laughs> That is such a good name. Yeah. Although I guess pretty much anything would go well with Go Lightly. Like Holly Go Lightly being the kind of... Yeah, um, Annabelle Go Lightly. Yeah. Lee Go Lightly, not so good. Mm. What about um, Lee Lumber Cumbersome Lee? <laughs> it's a bit Cumberbatchian, isn't it? Lee like Lumberjack. <laughs> Lee Cumberbatch. <laughs> I loved oh, somebody did a hilarious thing on the internet um, that had... Oh, that reminds me, I've got to read something aloud. Um... <laughs> during making up pretend what they thought Benedict Cumberbatch's middle name would oh, be. Did you see that? Everything to do with Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> is just funny. So it's like one of those great, great internet moments that has like absolutely no nutritional worth whatsoever, <laughs> yeah, but it's just also hilarious. I just, that just reminded me. He's related of... to Richard III, of course. Is he really? Mm-hmm, yeah, he's a distant relation to Richard III. Did they test the DNA that got dragged up out of that yeah, car park? Yeah, car park or whatever. <laughs> that's just my world's favourite story. Did that happen this year? Um, His reinterment, I think, happened this year. Back into the car park? Or? Yeah. And I, I remember writing some column where I'd said, um, you know, because they did a worldwide search of DNA for people who might be tangentially related to Richard III, and, um, and they found some woman in, in Queensland who oh. then attended the funeral. Like, she was actually related. Wow. Yeah. And I made this wisecrack in the column about how, you know, um, the investigators despite having received several packages of Christopher Pine's DNA from him, because just <laughs> oh, imagine him right. as someone who would love to be related to Richard III. And then about, I don't know, like about a month later, I was talking to him and he said, yes, I read that column. Um, actually, you might, um, I did laugh because I'm a member of the Richard III um, Admiration Society. He joined it once on some sort of country tour in the UK and just signed up. Oh, yes, I'll be part of that. Marvelous. What a surprise. Yeah. Um, back to Drusilla. So yesterday when I said, oh, let's try and knock off a podcast in the morning, you said you sent me your list of stuff and you said, I've got Drusilla Majeska's memoir, the new Turnbull book, Mrs. Dalloway, which I've been rereading, the TV series Master of None and Jermaine Greer's love letter to Martin Amos. I replied, great. I've got viral photos of cats invading people's personal space. <laughs> and they were awesome. That is a very you. happy that is a very happy moment because normally it's exactly the other way around. So, you know, allow me a feeling of smug intellectual plumpness. <laughs> um, but oh yeah, so yeah. while I'm reading this um Drusilla Majeska book, um she is completely obsessed with Virginia Woolf mm. and um her reflections about Wolf's own life. I mean, that's a really interesting thing in this book is that she's talking, she, she kind of includes the lives of writers as well as their 
writing in a really just engaging, fascinating oh, way. And, and, um, and the stuff that she writes and observes about Wolf is so um, acute and also very tragic. Um, but I was at the same time reading Mrs. Dalloway um, just because I was getting on a plane and I wanted something that I'd read before and that I love. Right. And right. Um, there is something really transporting about Virginia Woolf's writing, particularly in Mrs. Dalloway and To the Lighthouse. It's so much about the life of the mind and, you know, the, the thousand things that can go through your brain while you're just walking from one street corner to another. Mm -hmm. And so I was really in the mood for that sort of writing. where, right. And it's so just pulsatingly beautiful right. and so perfect. And just the, the, just to think of Wolf, who kind of suffered so much over her life with mental illness and, you know, the death of her mother and to think of that person sitting in a room feeling kind of incredibly miserable but pumping out this incredibly kind of detailed Fabergé egg style um, mm. prose about the inner life of the mind of this quite unremarkable woman. It's just, right. yeah. I've never read Mrs. Stoller. Oh, it's, it's fabulous. It's what, just, what, what's that famous first line, something about the flowers? Oh, yeah. God, I can't remember the first line now. But it's, um, uh, she's... The whole first two chapters is Mrs. Dalloway popping out to get um, to get flowers. If only we and had a device on which we could just pluck bits yes, of information. Yes, I know. Out of God, someone should invent a worldwide, you know, um, yes. network of potential horror and funny cats. Um, um, yeah, no, I'd love to read that. Mm. Um, I just was invited to be a guest on the final episode of the book club for the year, Jennifer Burns. Show, oh, fantastic! Um, which we recorded a little while ago, and so of the five books, I'd read a couple of them. One of the books, um, apparently I'm the only, only the second person in the history of the book club to ever do this, of the five books, I refused to read one of them, <gasps> which is a very... You threw it out before you even got it. <laughs> that's like, yeah. that's like which is taking a... Lee Salesman to its ultimate conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> I just demand that all books in the world be destroyed before I have to go to the faff of putting them in the bin. <laughs> if it can't come on the Kindle, I refuse to read it. No, it was one of the most celebrated books of the year, actually. It's A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Oh, yeah, right, okay. No? Heard anything about it? Well, I've heard of it, but why would you refuse to read it? Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. Yes. That's a great line. God. Don't you reckon? It is a great line. Um, I refuse to read it because, so the basic premise is it's about four male friends living in New York who've known each other, you know, from sort of late teens onwards. And one of them, who's a lawyer, is quite troubled and then it becomes clear that he has been heinously abused as a child and the right. book goes into graphic detail about oh, the cruelty and stuff that he has faced. And it's 750 pages long and everyone who's read it says it's the most marvellous book and it's completely absorbing but it's so traumatic because of the graphic detail. And... I just got to a point, like maybe about 100 pages in, where I thought, yeah, nah, I'm just not going to lie wow. in bed at night and read this. Because that's what I do all day, every day. I have to sit there and present stories about, you know, scout masters abusing mm. children and, you know, then the poor person's there 50 years later. And, yeah. you know, and I just thought, I don't want to read that at 9.30 at night in bed and then lie there at 3 o'clock in the morning replaying it and thinking, oh, I wish I, as with some stories I've done over my life, where I thought, oh, I wish I'd never heard that information because now I can't stop thinking about yeah. it. Um, yeah. So even though it was really, really good, I said I wouldn't read it. Wow, okay. So what's <laughs> going to happen? Everyone was actually very polite When you get to the bit the where, they, where it's discussed, will they just put a dunce cap on you or, like, paint a <laughs> sort of refusing slogan no, everyone on everyone else said how magnificent it was and how it had changed <clears> their life, and then I said, yeah, I'm not reading it. Um, but that is, you know, why. And they, all of them actually were very polite, and they said that's a that's fair enough. Um, it's quite an important constituency in the reading public, though, like people who 
find certain things too much to bear. I mean, I think I've yeah. talked to you before about one of my favourite books in the history of like literature is The Child in yeah. Time by Ian McEwan. It's just the most extraordinary, fabulous book. But I like I struggle to read it at the moment because my children are young mm. and, you know, the, the central event in the book is a um is a like incredibly yawning tragedy of involving child. So I just I've got an almost kind of um mm. I just I can't quite Mm. go there it's, it's like all McEwan books it's incredibly probing um emotionally yeah. it's like I mean I guess it's it's very subjective like say with films for example I I like suspense but I don't like horror yeah um so um yeah I, I, I'm sure there's some great horror films out yeah. there but I just don't really want to watch them because I don't find that enjoyable same with like at an amusement park I don't find getting flung around in a circle and enjoyable. I find that scary. <laughs> I just find that so far from enjoyable. One of my children really likes scary rides. At the, I'm just like, what? Get away from me. You're oh, not same. my child. You're not I my child. I can't bear that sort of stuff. Hey, speaking of... There should um, be an adoption service for, you know, children who like violent rides. <laughs> yeah. the Take them away. She's too young to go on by herself, so it's just oh. this real, like... Is that Katie oh, you like that? No, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. It's nine. Um... The horror novels reminded me of Stephen King, which reminded me last year I saw for the first time, I'd missed it when it first came out, Misery. Have you ever seen Misery? Oh, no, I've never oh. seen it. I'm, I'm waiting for an opportunity to watch it just because you uh, were oh, so... It was so mind about it. good. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was both suspenseful and terrifying, but it was like this sort of real psychological terror. Um but then it was also funny. Like it had, yeah, I, I do yeah. not know how they pulled it off. Like I was laughing aloud, but it was sort of like titters of <laughs> that sort of, oh, it was, and the script was like, it's a really good just sort of three act classic structure, really tight. It only runs for, I think it's like less than 90 minutes. It's oh, a really? short film. Oh, okay. I always thought of it as a very long film. No, and I love a short film. Yeah, I know. You're just um, lazy. That's why. <laughs> so I need to not fall asleep. Oh God. I loved it. Okay. It I'm going to watch so... that over Christmas. That's oh, my, you should. Yeah. It was very, very enjoyable. I've talked it up maybe a little bit too much now. I've got a horror um, story. Um, you know that film Wolf Creek? Yes. Which I saw once I and just too. perennially regret it. I mean, <laughs> I think I walked around with my back to a wall for about the next two weeks. Like, it just, oh, God. I basically just, don't want to go to the Northern Territory yeah. off the back of that well, I wonder if there's been a real knock-on for <laughs> tourism in sort of Australia's <laughs> desolate places. Um, but anyway, um, so, you know, my mum and dad live on the Adelaide Plains, yes. on the farm where I grew up. Well, it's kind of like a very arid kind of landscape. It's beautiful um, if you love it, but it's also like it's not, it's no English country garden, right? Is this where um, you're going to tell me I should never accept a ride on your father's hovercraft? No, totally. I would just advise that <laughs> as just a general rule. But anyway, yeah. there's this bit near the beach because it's on this sort of tidal beach and there's, you know, the land only gets arable once you kind of, come back in from the beach quite a bit, understandably. But there's these sort of sand dune plains um, of shell grit, you know, and it looks like it's a kind of like a post-apocalyptic landscape. So mm. people like television companies always want to come and film there if they've got some sort of, you know, well, we're making a Cormac McCarthy, you know, short <laughs> film or something like, we need somewhere that looks wasteland. like, you know, the, the earth's been dead for, you know, a million years. Righto, well, our place will do. Like, I mean, it's the word, you wouldn't put it on your real estate listing. <laughs> it is kind of a fabulous land, but it's, you know, it's bare and kind of 
freaky. Right. Anyway, so right now on that bit of land, they are making a TV series version of Wolf Creek. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, no. I know. So, like, how hilarious that it's going to be, like, it's made on my childhood home. Wow. I will never see it because I can't ever just, you know. And half the filming is done at night. Oh. And then my dad keeps popping out there to help because he's just... <laughs> Cup of tea, he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then my mum and I were laughing the other day about how, like, at some point, dad will be like... So who's the creepy, evil baddie in this movie? Like, I can't say that it'll just become clear that it is him. <laughs> but, so, um, recently, um, that whole part of the world was burned out really badly. And, right. um, and like, it's just, it's awful. I mean, I always think we live on the plains so yeah. we don't get yeah. hit by bushfires like they do was in your the Adelaide Hills. Right? It was all right. Yeah, it didn't get burned, but it was a complete accident of fate because... The main factor in those fires, and I mean, if you look at the land around there, it is flat, it is like crops, it is not treeless entirely, but I mean, there's nothing like the kind mm. of trees that you get in the Adelaide Hills that kind of fan these bushfires. The, the real factor was this incredible wind, mm. um, 100 kilometres an hour, mm. that just ripped that fire through stubble and crops mm. and just so frightening. And in fact, I talked to my mum this morning and they are busily like, clearing stuff around their house just because they never really thought of themselves oh. as at risk and no. now you know they have these neighbors that have lost their homes and oh, no. um, lost sheep and equipment and and like Ugh. oh so tragic but on that particular day of course there's this huge hot wind mm. and on this patch of blasted heat this television production company is built a sort of fake village as a set you know a township oh, including a um you know, a, a church. And, of course, it's built out of, you know, styrofoam or something, as all TV mm. sets are. And they rang up in the morning and said, ah, um, oh, my God, our whole town is blowing away. Oh. Um, can you help, you know? And I think they wanted to bring, you know, they wanted sort of heavy equipment basically to lash this stuff to right. or something. And luckily, mm. my dad has about, you know, he collects right. kind of crazed um, farming equipment um, and earth-moving uh, <laughs> items and so he just you know got some mates together and chugged out there with these sort of bulldozers and things mm. and then arrived like seconds too late it just blew up oh. in front of them like and oh, just you know geez. so wh- how weird is that that you know Ugh. wolf creek is kind of flying away in this incredible wind that's also mm. just laying waste to an environment that we had previously thought was just invulnerable to bushfires some styrofoam church has just landed in Broken Hill and oh, people are yes. going, I don't, I haven't even asked the questions about <laughs> where, where the bits of the church ended oh, up anyway. Man, oh, yeah. Hey, I read this piece in the New Yorker. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's the most recent New Yorker. My New Yorkers just multiply like, it's like an endless source of guilt in yeah. my life, but there's just mm. always a new one and I've never read Do the you old know ones. what bugs me about the postal edition? When you, when you buy a New Yorker at the stand, like, or just, you know, at the airport or news agency or whatever it's got that little handy half flap across yeah. the front that tells you yeah. what's in it yeah when you get the postal edition it doesn't have that flap so you okay. don't really get that sort of titillating Ooh, oh so and so's, you know oh. like when there's sort of they'll they'll puff some piece on the front you know um mm. some new piece by some writer that you love and then you open it up and it's 300 words of book review or something or yeah you know, right. and you're like oh, thanks new author 
Well, I get the Kindle edition. He went with the price tonight. Not the Kindle edition, the well, iPad edition. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, there was this really long piece about a woman called Megan Phelps Roper who used to be the public face of the Westboro Baptist Church, which oh, is this God. Right. church in the United States that is... Um, the basic belief is that when bad stuff happens to Americans or in America, it's because America's experiencing God's wrath because mm. they've strayed far from God and they mm. indulge um, sodomites and, you know, blah, blah, yes. blah, blah. So they do things like, you know, if you happen to have a terrorist attack in your neighbourhood, some people from Westboro Church will show up with placards to say, um, this is because God, you know, turn turn yourself back to God, you know, blah, blah, blah. They yeah, they've got this funerals. incredible technique where they pick on victims yeah, they pick on and victims. really terrorise them. And it's pretty... They believe that there's too much emphasis on God as a God of love and that God is actually vengeful and wrathful. Yeah, and, you know, I think blah, we really blah. understate the love stuff, you know, and we should turn back to the wrath. <laughs> Let's get to the hate. Yeah. I'd like to fill myself with the hate and the, and the vengeance. Anyway, so this woman was basically Westboro Baptist's main public relations person. She was out there on their social media. <laughs> they did their own PR, really. <laughs> yeah. You're all doomed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's Sodomites. Such, a, such an appealing message, isn't it? Um, Pick up our, our gift card range now. <laughs> So, what, are the, what about the merch? The merch would be incredible. You're all going to die. Repent or die. Um, you deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, had it coming, I guess. So she has been on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of it engaging in public, you know, with people who are out in the world to try to convince them of the wrongness of their ways. But what's happened over time is that, as sometimes happens in those social media spaces, people who argue various points of view, they get to sort of have a bit of an odd liking and respect for each other because mm. they just enjoy, you know, the person. Anyway, so she sort of formed some relationships with people like this guy who was a key Jewish lobbyist, um, and she just got to really like him, and they spent a lot of time together, and he tried to persuade her that she was wrong. Anyway, so doubt started to creep in. Huh. And so this article is a really forensic um, dissection of the way her faith unravelled. But, I mean, Westboro Baptist Church is basically a cult. It is a cult. It's a scary one too. And her, she was the granddaughter of the founder of it. So she wow. was deep, deep, deep in the cult. Her family was like, you know, the family. Yeah. And so she had to basically extricate herself and also her sister from it. So she reached a turning point where she just went, actually, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Need to need to get out. But that was actually when you've been raised in that from <clears throat> a baby, mm. that that's chucking out that'd be like you or I chucking out everything that we actually believe in and going from zero because it's you know, we've oh, decided, you do it with everything else in your life. <laughs> Why not believe? <laughs> Why not values? <laughs> I think it's the next to go. Popularly voted the next to go in Lee Sales's house. Her belief system. <laughs> oh, so anyway, so it follows the sort of uh, unravelling of it all. Oh, geez, it was a really riveting and interesting piece. Oh, I can't wait to read that. Yeah, it was great. They are, are they the scary? They're really scary. You run into them. I, I ran into them once um, at the Republican convention oh, yeah. in. 2012, and I was doing this piece of foreign correspondent about the 2012 presidential election. It was really, really hot, and we were in Florida, and um, <laughs> the, um, you know, we couldn't get into the convention, but we were just outside with all of the rabble raisers and whatever. And the Westboro Baptist, Baptist Church were there with a loudspeaker, just basically caning people as they were past. I mean, this is like the religious right, you know, going in and out of the Republican convention. They're still doomed, according to, because they weren't, you know, enough against gay marriage or whatever. Mm. Anyway, 
I would, they, they are real kind of harassers yeah, too. Yeah. Like, you know, you walk past and they're at you, you mm. know, with this incredibly violent form of intervention. Like, mm. so I was just um, taking a picture of them. I mean, they've got these banners that are just unspeakable. Um, and the guy who was um, in charge of the microphone just starts yelling at me. And he was really like just verbaling me, you know, and saying, uh, you know, where do you stand on abortion? You know, like, and it was just, and he was asking me questions. And I was like, it was kind of hilarious because I was about five months pregnant, quite obviously pregnant. I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> what do you reckon? Take a look. <laughs> um, but it was quite a, it was, it was, it was a situation of kind of quite profound kind of um, intellectual violence. Like he, he, he was really pushing his way into my space and demanding answers from me. And he had a loudspeaker and I just had my voice. Like I was just in the crowd. And it was a really good insight into like this, the, the, the bullying tactics that mm. they use because they're just muscling, you know, well, what do you stand for? Like this is what's wrong with you. And I'm looking at this guy thinking, you're a monster. Like, what are you talking about? Mm. Like, you know, it's the ultimate kind of lack of self-awareness. Mm. And imagine what a bad mood you'd be in all the time, like yeah. having to live your life like that, like always looking to, oh, here comes someone I can harangue. Like, oh, just be awful. Anyway, I highly um, recommend that. Another piece that I found surprisingly interesting that I really liked, um, and I'm not really, as you know, into sport at all, Kevin Peterson, who I think is a British batsman, is that right? Yeah. Um, he's an all-rounder. Yeah, okay. He has got a book that he's written, must be a memoir, and I've just read an extract of it that was in The Guardian, which was about what it was like to face Shane Warne oh, when Shane okay, Warne yeah. was bowling at you. Oh, it was, I, I mean, I assume he's had a ghostwriter, but maybe he's just a great writer, but Oh, God, it was so good. And it was so um, – the thing that stuck with me was he talked about, obviously, Warnie was a great bowler, but he said the guy's psychological game was just unbelievable. He'd never met anyone as confident as Warn. And he said he just could make you, no matter what the circumstance, you could feel wrong-footed. He would make you feel wrong-footed. Wow. So he would say – Like a mouse bowl. being stalked by a cat or something. Completely. And so he said Warn would bowl at you and you would smash him over the fence for a six and then Warn would say something like, ooh. Oh, oh, that was so close. Oh, you were so nearly out. And then you'd start feeling like, oh, God, God, I was nearly out. Oh, my God. And you just smashed him over the fence for a six, and you would be the one feeling anxious, not warty. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and so he went through and he explained huh. it really great. It was just this sort of, I don't know, the psychology of it. It just was so – I mean, I'm quite fascinated by Shane Warne anyway, but just the – the way that Warren, and he just said Warren just basically never stopped speaking the whole time on the field, just maintained this constant barrage of psychological warfare. Isn't it interesting how um, intricate and how sophisticated Warren is emotionally and psychologically on the field? Mm. Like, can I just also just, I'm just going to hold your hand briefly because yes, we're having a conversation about sports, oh sweetie. God. It's amazing. You're doing really, really well. I bet that wasn't on the Fat 10 bingo chart. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah. Start a new page. Funny guy from Twitter. Sport reference. <laughs> Sport reference. Yeah. Um, so when I lived in um, the UK, I was always struck by the vast difference in the public estimation of worn between Australia and the UK. Because mm -hmm. in Australia, I mean, you know, like he's a sort of 
hilarious cult figure in lots of ways, but also, you know, mm. to, oh, warning, what are you doing now? Mm. But in the UK, probably because they'd suffered at length from his genius, they mm. just, the first thing that they recognised and appreciated about him was his genius, like, right? Oh, like he wow. was, yeah, it yeah. was kind of other way around, right. I think, from Australia, where we kind of go, oh, my God, we're clown, but also, oh, but also, great, great yeah. Um, Oh, he was primarily assessed, and even when he like he, he of course reserved some of his most fabulous, fabulous bad behaviour for the UK, like that great story um, uh, when he was um, captain of Hampshire, and he um, was you know five day game on the second night he drove to London, went to this party where he was kind of accosted by these two incredibly pneumatic women who took him home, and then took a video uh, of this mutual sex romp with an inflatable doll. And, you know, at no point did he think, I hope these women aren't from the news of the world, <laughs> which, of course, they were. Of course, they were. But I love that it maybe, maybe Warney thought, I hope these women aren't from the news of the world, but if they are. Oh, oh, what, oh, the oh what the hell. <laughs> and, of course, the great thing about the story is that he, he – didn't go to sleep all night because of the cavorting and gamma hutching that was going on. And then he just turned around, drove back to the game, and took like seven for 49 or something. It was just the most incredible. And, you know, something about that just makes me just love him so much. Even though the behaviour is terrible, you're just like, God, that's awesome. I mean, like, I don't think I could... Have you ever met him anywhere? Um, well, actually, uh, no. And um, I have, however, spent quite a bit of time sitting outside his house. When I was um, posted in London, I um, Warning Watch was just the most devastating. Yeah, right. You know, I used to, um, I'd have to drive to Southampton where he lived. And I had this photographer who used to come with me, he was from the local agency, and we'd sit there. Like, I've spent days. Oh, I think because everyone, he would yeah. send the children to answer the door. Well, yeah. th that was the most kind of absolute, like, yeah, journalistic low point. I, every now and again, I'd pop out and knock on the door. We used to play Travel Connect 4 in the car, <laughs> me and this photographer. And um, he was the greatest photographer. He had a, a car boot full of different uniforms that allowed him to f get through security oh, barriers. Like, he had, like, fire, SES oh, type, you know, classic. ambos. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm just I'm, – I'm sitting outside Shane and Warren's house with the world's greatest fraudster. Um, but anyway, every now and again, we'd go and knock on the door, and there was this – one time I was sitting there and um, and I think Simone was at home with the children and she sent the children to answer the door and I'm just like, I am the worst person in the world. Hi, kids. I'm here to uh, inquire as to the whereabouts of your philandering father. I, I just could say nothing, of course. I just sort of said, oh, hi, children. Yeah. <laughs> I think I wrote a little game? note, you know. To, oh, anyway, it's a very hard period of my life to relive because I just feel so terrible about it. Well, I reckon we should leave the podcast there. Annabelle is the worst person in the world. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, Less of a monster than you. Now, oh, um, okay, just do, let's do our quick whip around. Oh, yeah. I'm going to save a couple of things for next time. But I just downloaded, I don't tend to download new albums very often. Probably the last one would have been about maybe 20 10, which mm. was probably the killer's day and age. Um, this week I downloaded a new album. Oh, I am it. one of the three and a half million people over the past week that's downloaded Adele's new album, 25. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Good. I only listened to the first three songs, but yes, very good. And I also, I do like her voice, but also I just think she looks like a great chick that would like to hang yeah. around us. She looks very cool. All right, get on to that. I love how yeah. I've made it like she would yeah. like to hang around with yeah, I'm sure. us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. And now, what have you, have you got any other um, I'm obsessed with and just so want to read Jermaine Greer's 30,000-word love letter to Martin Amos. I haven't heard anything about oh, this. Oh, God. Right. So... It's so good. So Jermaine Greer donated her personal effects and documents and whatever um, to this university library. All of them. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, a huge bunch of material. And Margaret Simons, you know, the Australian journalist, um, wandered over there and started having a look through right. and found this notebook that is um, that was written um, at the time in the 70s, I think, when... Um, Greer was having a passionate affair with Martin Amos. I mean, dear God, the brain just implodes at the thought. Anyway, and she was sort of on a book tour. She was the hottest thing, you right. know, in, in, you know, kind of sensational feminist and literary theory and so on. And he was, of course, this kind of Martin Amos. wunderkind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were doing it. And Did anyone know this at the time? Well, it has never been written about. He didn't put it in his memoir. And, but it was sort of, I think it was at the time reported that they were kind of, you know, that they were Fringe. a bit of an item. Right. But, I mean, they were all shagging lots of people at the same right. time, I think. Um, and he was, of course, even married at the same time. So, you know, wow. <laughs> marvellous. Um, but, so it's this 30,000-word letter, which is apparently just full of kind of incredible detail and just absolutely kind of, slavishly sexually obsessed with Amos oh. and but then also describing her experience on her book tour and like this you know descriptions of the Grand Canyon that are kind oh, that of like great. both obscene and how do we of, get our hands on this well exactly and that is the question because um apparently um uh Simon's been keen to like actually has suggested that it be published you know mm. as a as a s small book because apparently it's a real rollicking ride but Greer having Despite having d donated all this stuff, she said, whoa, 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 whoa. Apparently oh, my God, I forgot about the yeah. Martin <laughs> <laughs> I forgot my 30,000 word love letter and erotic um, epistle to uh, Martin Amos. Shit. Um, but apparently there's other people mentioned in it and she's a bit kind of like, I, I really, I'm not sure I want that published. So I think there's discussions going on. But, like, I just read the account of it, like there's a story in The Guardian, in the Guardian about it. I'm just like, just absolutely aflame with need oh, to read amazing. these bloody things. Speaking of which, just accompanying me over oh, here, God, all right. long lost um, <laughs> bits of writing yeah. I discovered in the process of moving house. So this is my little, um, and we're at our 30 minutes, so I'm not going to go into all of this. This is my what, you've box just opened of... your box of personal <laughs> diaries and now we're out of time? Oh, my God. Oh. I just wanna, I'm not going to read you all of this. This is a novel that I started writing in 1987. Oh. Okay. Called Flora's Fancies. It's Flora's so bad. Fancies. I'm just going to read you because um, it's so it's so horrendously bad. So 1987, so I was 13. Let me just read you the last. You weren't shagging Martin Amos at the time, were you? <laughs> Please tell me. No, that's an off-color joke. I regret it immediately. <laughs> so this is the last um, Flora's Fancies. The last chapter of the prologue. Flora thought about how many toes she'd trodden on to get to the top. It enraged her to think about how many times her own toes had been trodden on. <laughs> oh, revenge was sweet. Certainly, two wrongs didn't make a right, oh. but it felt good to get your own back. <laughs> Grinning to herself, Flora realised it did feel good, and she felt wonderful right now. She intended to do it. <laughs> She intended to drink <laughs> only goodness from the cup of life, now and forevermore. <laughs> wow. 
Whoa. Oh, don't put it back in that box. I'm going to just look at it. Please. No. That was during your Highland dancing days, I'm guessing. Of course. Yes. That is why, um, yeah, Jermaine, like, as if I'd ever just, like, hand that over to you and go, here you go, crab, take that away and have a read. God knows what. Horrendous. I know where the box is now, though. Yes, well, it'll be hidden before you get back to here. Now, um, before we go, um, Having I just think... dropped that kind of literary turn into the atmosphere. I don't reckon having now read that aloud, I'm I'm ever going to be allowed on this podcast ever again to go, yes, I just knocked over, you know, such and such. It was a bit mediocre, I thought. (laughs) It's no Flora's fancy. It's it's no Flora's fancy. The best thing about that book is, though, you've spent a lot of time on the title page, like hand calligraphing and illuminating the title page. I was always writing that sort of doggerel and making, you know, my friend Mandy, who we've talked about before, Mandy would have to read it. Poor bastard. Now, um, I reckon that we can promise one more Chat 10 episode before Christmas. Yeah, I think we can. And I reckon we'll make that our bumper Christmas edition yeah. where we talk about like our favourite stuff of the yeah, year yeah, and good. We'll do talk that. about our Christmas baking and all that sort of stuff. So we promise we'll do that and then we'll probably allow ourselves to have a bit of time off. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think so. Unless we work out that excellent remote, oh, it's never going to happen. <laughs> um, forget it. Julia Zamiro, um, when uh, she was very kind to um, do a – event for my cookbook um and she had all these great quotes about cooking and recipes and stuff because she said she doesn't really cook that much and she had this great quote i'm embarrassed now i can't remember who it was but it was a really good one um from someone who said yeah i always get the same reading uh, feeling from reading recipes as from reading science fiction i get to the end and i think well that's all very interesting it's never going to (laughs) happen on that lovely note we'll leave you there bye see you soon